Don't want to work forever? Once you can cover your living expenses with passive income, your day job becomes optional and you reach financial independence. You then have complete control over your time, your money, and your life in general. Spark Rental founders Denny Suplee and Brian Davis, me, are here to help you build rental income, ditch your day job, and do what matters most to you. So on that note, let's jump into today's episode, which, like all of our episodes, was recorded live. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Live Off Rents podcast. I am Brian Davis, a co-founder of Spark Rental. I am super pumped to be with you today, as always. And I'm excited to be joined today by Shannon Robnett of Shannon Robnett Industries. Shannon is a syndicator, a real estate developer. He's the host of the Real Estate Rundown podcast. Shannon, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much, Brian. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So one of the things that I love to just dive right in with, with every guest we have on the show is just how you got into real estate in the first place. You know, take us back to those early days when you were making mistakes left and right and you know, how, how you got in here. Well, I'll take you back to my birth because I was born into a real estate family. My father was a builder for a long time and became a developer later in his life. My mother was a third generation realtor, wow. uh, had her brokerage license and, and up to a hundred brokers for over 40 years. And so I grew up basically at rich dad, poor dad table. You know, I, I sat there and listened to real estate deals at dinner time, And I thought I wanted to do something different, pursued college for a little bit, realized that wasn't for me, began building houses, realized I didn't like homeowners, uh, shifted my business into the commercial world. Uh, those of you in the rental space on single family homes, you know exactly what I mean. Uh, but then I, I began, I built police stations. I built city halls. I built fire stations, schools, gymnasiums, medical facilities. And every time I built a facility, I realized that the minute I was done, I was unemployed. I had finished my contract and I was unemployed. And so I began to shift my business in 2001 and I built my first industrial complex that I kept for rent for me for income. Uh, and at that, that same year, I watched my parents retire off of their rental income and they've lived an inflation adjusted lifestyle for the last 24 years. And so from there, I would partner with a doctor here, maybe a high net worth individual over there. And we would do a project and, and we would go about that. And the last project I did with a single partner set up like that was in 2017. And I was partnered with a family office that uh, they came in for about 19 million in capital. And during the, the build process on a 180 unit apartment complex, the matriarch and the patriarch both passed away and the kids decided it was time to let everybody know it was time to split up the family office. And so they did just that. And uh, my source of capital went away. So in late 2019, I began to syndicate capital, which is just a fancy word for partnership, where I would partner with multiple investors, upwards of uh, 60 investors in one single deal and we would then begin to continue building apartments, building industrial, buying and selling other uh, real estate. And uh, in that time period, since 19, we've raised about $65 million in investor capital and have completed uh, projects in all the way from Washington down into Florida. Wow. Well, <laughs> we covered many, many decades and a lot of different ground there. I, I love all of that. Uh, let me start with a very simple follow-up question. Uh, do you allow non-accredited investors in your current syndication deals? 
Absolutely. I think everybody needs a place to start. Uh, you know, I've always been the little guy, you know, I've never had the largest construction company. I've never had the largest property management company. Uh, I didn't have a silver spoon. And so I always believe that the, the easiest way to help people truly understand how to get away from their W-2, how to, how to walk away from a job, how to have a successful retirement is to allow those that want to, to learn and participate. So we've always, we always open our deals as a 506B. And then after we've got either our 35 accredited or non-accredited investors and, or uh, have reached a period of time, then we convert that to a 506C and then continue to raise funds. Well, I love that. Um, <laughs> our, at Spark Rental, we run a real estate investment club, a, a passive investment club, where every month we're looking at different 506B deals. Um, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. Sometimes they're not technically 506B deals, but typically passive real estate investments that allow non-accredited investors. A lot of our members are non-accredited investors. You know, We all go in on these together. So each person might invest just five grand, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a really easy way for people to get started. So I love when we bring syndicators on the show and they, they say those golden words that they that they believe in non-accredited investors. They accept capital from non-accredited investors. You're speaking my language here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, look, it wasn't that long ago. Okay. Actually, Brian, maybe it was that long ago, but I also <laughs> was, I forget I'm 50 now. Right. Uh, but I was a non-accredited investor. I was looking for the opportunities. I didn't, you know, I didn't come from Wall Street. I didn't, I didn't come from a really large private equity firm. I've had to learn all the lessons I've learned on my own and a lot of ways the hard way. And I want to make that journey easier for others because I really believe that 2008 could have been completely avoided by a more intelligent investor. And the only way you're going to do that is through education like this podcast and helping people to truly understand how to underwrite, how to get involved, how to be a participant in good, solid real estate. Well, I love that. Uh, I want to, well, first of all, I do want to dive in and talk a lot about industrial real estate investing, because that's something that we don't talk about that often on this show. But before we do that, I want to rewind the clock a little bit to just how you got into commercial real estate development uh, and commercial real estate syndications. Uh, or well, development first, because you got into syndications later. But if we have someone listening to the show right now who is interested in getting into real estate development, what's first of all, what was your path and what tips would you have for someone who doesn't necessarily have a ton of capital of their own set aside, but they want to get into that space? What, what would you tell them? Well, I'll tell you about my very first real estate deal that I ever did outside of buying my own one bedroom, one bath condo when my wife and I got married. But I was working on a job. We were building an industrial warehouse for the only $1 stores in town. And I got to know the little old lady next door. She was in her late 70s. She had a, a mentally disabled son. They lived on three acres of industrial property with a house that was built in the 50s. I'm also talking to my crane operator on the job. And he's like, man, I'd really like to find myself a place with a couple of acres, maybe even have an old house on it. I could stick my office in it, blah, 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 right? Well, being that I'm in construction, it took me a couple of days to put two and two together, but I ran back next door and I put the old lady's house under contract and I didn't use, Brian, I didn't use my last $500. I used my only $500 for the earnest money. I was, I mean, I was newly married. Uh, we had a baby on the way, one bedroom, one bath condo. I had problems, right? 
And this house was grandfathered in to an industrial area, but it still needed to go through the conditional use process to get the grandfather rights off of it. So I had no choice. In order to make this money, I had to figure this out. And so I went down to the city and they said, no, this is in the county. So I went over to the county and I just walked up to the desk and I just sat uh, sat down and I told the lady, I said, I'm brand new at this. Can you please help me? And I realized that those were absolutely the magic words, right? It was a hard because it well, it was it was a little humbling, but you know, I've used those words even now. Uh, this is the first time I've done this. Can you please help me? Because people want to help people. But if you come in and go, hey, listen, I'm here to fill this out. Here's the paperwork. Call me when it's done. And you have that attitude that you know what you're doing or that you have arrogance, they're going to reciprocate that. But if you come in there and you humbly ask, please help me. This is my first time. I'm new. You will get way farther down the road. And I learned that I could do those things. And so then I began to look for those listings that were difficult, that hadn't sold, that had some hair on them. And I began to find those and get those through the city processes at night and on the weekends and and in my spare time while I still did my business. But then I began to find these niche properties that I could develop in different ways, especially by sitting down with the cities and the counties and going, what do you want to see here? And so it was really good because I wasn't fighting for the right to develop. I was doing what they encouraged to develop. I love that. I mean, there's so much there, starting with, you know, really just closing your mouth and shutting down your ego and just asking for help, asking for advice from people who know more about whatever it is that you're trying to do than you do. So, you know, if if only I had done that when I was in my 20s. (laughs) If only I had done it every single time. I can't say that I was perfect at that. (laughs) (laughs) So industrial real estate, tell us why you are so bullish on industrial real estate, why you think that that is an asset class worth pursuing, especially today in 2024? I I consider industrial real estate to be the bond of real estates. I mean, it is absolutely, in my opinion, premium credit. And when I say industrial real estate, you probably envision, you know, the old rusty metal building that's got, you know, more junk outside than it could possibly ever fit inside. And I'm talking about flex space. I'm talking about the guy that tints windows, the lady that runs a cheerleading camp. I've got pool guys in there. I've got cabinet guys, garage door uh, guys. I've got just the myriad of Americana in there. I got a guy in there in one of my very, in my very first building makes gelato ice cream. He's got a 3000 square foot commercial kitchen and a walk-in freezer that's larger than the county morgue, right? And he (laughs) makes ice cream, puts it in there and then delivers it on Friday. That's his business model. And these people, they need those spaces. But let's go back to why I love it. Let's compare it, first of all, to multifamily. Multifamily, you charge rent. Maybe you charge some rubs for some billbacks on the on the sewer and the water. Maybe you're charging a pet rent, and that's it. Anything else that happens on that property is your responsibility. Let's go to industrial. First of all, my tenants in industrial are business owners. They make business decisions, okay? Um, they have balance sheets. They sign personal guarantees. They sign five to 10-year leases. Those leases have three to 5% increases in them, depending on the market. And they are responsible, most importantly, for all expenses. Because right. think about this, Brian, if you and I are going to enter a deal that's going to be five to 10 years long, I can't possibly tell you what my insurance is going to be in year four. So we call that a triple net. 
And so the property taxes, the, the lawn care, the exterior maintenance, the light bulbs, the HVAC units, everything inside that building, the insurance, all of the fire inspections, all of that stuff is an expense of the tenant base. And so you're billing that back every single year. So your rent is absolute profit, right? You know what you're going to make every single month. The other thing, when you look at where industrial trades, it trades usually half to 1% higher on the cap rate than multifamily does, and it's stable. Now, a lot of people have had a lot of fun in multifamily in the last five years because rents have exploded. But this year, insurance and property taxes have exploded, and they're not having any fun because rents have gone flat. I'm still going to get a three to 5% raise on my rents this year from every single tenant that I have. And I'm going to have controlled expenses. So now my profit just went up and nothing else. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we love in our, our passive real estate investment club is unsexy investments, right? <laughs> the, <laughs> the things that, absolutely, yeah, you know, it's, it's because you know, everyone, everyone loves like the class A, the class B multifamily properties, you know, everyone does that stuff, but the stuff that's, that's not sexy, you know, the, the small mom and pop mobile home parks in tertiary markets, for example, and I, yeah, we, we love this stuff that gets overlooked by, you know, the, the big boys, right? I mean, you know, the, the, the wall street investors and even the, the smaller private equity firms, uh, we love that stuff. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the things that just jumped out to me when you were talking there is unsexy, right? Well, you know, the, these industrial properties are not sexy, but they are lucrative. You know, and we've had tenants stay as long as 22 years. I mean, think about this, Brian, and this probably doesn't apply to you because we were just talking before the show about all your travels, but most businesses want to stay in one place, right? right. They build a clientele, people get to know their location, their employees know where, they, where they're going to work. If they have to move, they've got to shut down production, they've got to quit making money, they've got to pay their employees to move everything, they've got to pay them to set everything else back up, and they have this, this downtime that costs money. You know, the other thing, let me give you this quick story Brian, it was just about eight years ago, and I would say he was the number two most successful commercial real estate broker here in the Valley where I live. He came to me and he says, hey, I want to build four or five of these industrial buildings that you build, and, and you know, I, I want to do that. I'm retiring, and I want to do that. And I said, okay. And after about three months, I finally asked him, I said, Mike, why these? I mean, of all the things that you can invest in, your knowledge is broad. You've invested in every class and category. You've invested in businesses. Why these? And he said, if something happens to me, my wife, who's a hairdresser, can run these buildings without a property management company and can be just fine. So when you take that from somebody that has all the real estate knowledge out there that you could, I mean, this guy had extensive knowledge and you take somebody who's lived with that person, but has never really been involved in the business and you feel confident that that person can run it. Brian, I think that meets the definition of unsexy. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, there is something that you said that I wanted to just circle back to. You talked about how the tenants pay for the insurance and how that helps protect you, especially given how insurance premiums have skyrocketed over the last two years. But as a property owner, don't you still need to insure the building itself? Oh, yeah. No, they reimburse me. Everything is a reimbursement to me. So I'd want to make sure that I don't wind up with liens on the building or people not doing their job. So I pay all the bills with their money. 
right? right? So they're, they're not maintaining a separate insurance policy no. for like the interior of the property kind of thing. Yeah. Well, they do have their renter's insurance, right? But one of my favorite sayings is I have the finest insurance my tenants can afford. <laughs> and when Love you it. think about it, right? A tenant that doesn't think properly about their business that is looking solely at the bottom line will get cheap insurance. I have insurance that protects them if the neighbor catches on fire and damages their business. I have insurance that if, if we have floods or tornadoes, their businesses are covered because those premiums divided by the whole building are minuscule compared to what they might get on an individual policy. And they're very, very well protected because I want to insure one thing, and that is that rent's due on the first and I'm getting it. Well, let's talk about risk and, and rental income for a second. So there's obviously a risk that one of these tenant businesses will go out of business, right? That they'll go under. First of all, how do you protect against that risk? And then what are some of the other risks that, that you see in your business and how do you mitigate those? Well, let's liken it to single family homes, right? If you were looking to buy a single family home, the closer you get to downtown, the more comfort you would feel that you would be able to re-tenitize. If you're buying a property that's on 10 acres, 25 miles from downtown, 20 miles from the nearest neighbor, you would probably think that that would be hard to retenant. So we don't go buy million square foot Amazon buildings. We're buying 50,000 square foot buildings that have eight tenants in there. Each tenant has a very similar need. They need a bathroom, they need an office, and they need 200 amps of power. And with those requirements, this is a one size fits most. We typically see a vacancy last maybe as long as 45 days, but then we're locked in for another five years. All of our leases say that tenants will give us 90 days notice. You can't require that in residential, but we, we have that requirement. So if your lease ends at the end of the month and you give me notice now, I have the legal obligation or the legal right to obligate you to rent for the next 90 days. So we, we have protections in there that give us better power. Plus, if you look during COVID, nobody shut down industrial. Yeah. And one of the other things that I like about industrial real estate is that you don't have the heavy regulation that you do in residential real estate. So for example, the government wasn't telling you that you couldn't evict non-paying uh, industrial renters, right? So you didn't have to, so lease agreements didn't become one-way enforceable at that point. It's still a two-way right. contract that can be enforced by either party. So right. uh, you know, that is you know, one of those kind of macro structural risks in residential real estate investing is the government could come in and change the rules at any time, you know, the regulation around residential real estate and you're stuck with it. So, uh, you know, the other thing that we saw was in 2008, Brian, when people were giving their houses back to the bank, they were still paying their rent because they still had to manufacture or do whatever they did to make the money they were going to get. Right. And, and because we're in such a wide genre of things, I mean, Look, just because we had a downturn in the construction market in 2008 in the building market didn't mean doctors' kids didn't want to go to dance class. It didn't mean that, that you know, they weren't remodeling their bathrooms. It didn't mean that they didn't need emergency plumbing supplies or dish TV or welding or any of the other many, many things that are in our businesses, right? We've definitely had tenants go out on us. But how is it to go after a tenant that skips out on an apartment or a single family home that has really no credit anyway versus a business owner that has assets, right? No, that makes sense. And I also, one other thing that struck me that you mentioned was that your typical vacancy period 
is only 45 days, whereas your typical lease is five years, sometimes longer. So, uh, you know, uh, your long-term vacancy rate sounds like it's extremely low. Is that, is that correct? Well, and to say that it's, it averages 45 days, that's, that's not quite uh, what I meant, if that's what I said. That's the longest we've had, right? Oh, wow. Even in 08, 45 days was all we had. Because if you think about it, Brian, we got a guy that uh, is, is moving out of his space. He needs to terminate early. We put it on the market. Six days later, we got a guy that makes golf club and puts an indoor driving range thing. He needs 2,000 square feet. We got 2,000 square feet. The office is a 10 by 12. It's already there. The bathroom's in the back. It has everything he needs. He can move in right away. And the other thing is my upkeep is minimal, right? I mean, I got four walls and a ceiling, you know, and a roll-up right. door in the front. Th these people aren't putting in lounge chair. There's not a commercial kitchen in some of these. It's very, very, very basic. And so most people will look at that and go, yep, I'll take it. It does what I want. And can I do some improvements? Sure, of course, you know, do what you want. But here's the bit, here's the bare bones. This is what you're going to get. Yeah. And, you know, some of that, uh, that quick turnover, uh, it's the beauty of a one size fits most yep. business model. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so tell us about the, the typical returns that you guys both look for in your, your investments, your industrial investments, and what you have been earning, uh, you know, especially well, over the last, you know, five years or so, it's obviously been, yeah. you know, an up and down and kind of crazy market over the last, you know, really since the, the pandemic began. So, you know, t talk to us about returns and what you guys are seeing. So first of all, I think I need to identify that I believe there are three types of investors, right? There's those that want appreciation. They've got a hundred grand, they've got a half a million bucks. They know that they want to, to get somewhere that's going to afford them a $250,000 a year lifestyle, they've got to build that up, right? Then you've got the people that are making fantastic money right now. And their biggest thing that they're looking for is tax savings. That will save them 35% of their income every year if you can eliminate their tax bill. And then you've got the guys at the far end of the spectrum. They're usually in their 60s. They've got that $5 million and they're looking for that 6% return. So the first thing we want to do is make sure that we're talking to the right investor about the right program, because in development, we do a lot of development and those returns, uh, we've seen returns as high as 104% on 22 months. Um, I will tell you that that had more to do with the market than it did with right. my expertise, right? Yeah. But you take it when you can get it. Sure. Other development returns have been 39%. Most industrial and multifamily development deals are in the mid to high 20s for return on a three to five year play based on constructing the product, creating the original value add. You take sticks and stones, you add tenants, you create that value. And then there's the stabilized cash flow with the tax benefits. And usually that starts out at about 6% a year, uh, but you can see a 3% annual increase every year. And then we usually look at on those deals, structured money. So we're not dealing with bridge financing. We're not dealing with short-term debt. We're dealing with long-term debt, five to seven year horizons. And those deals usually run in the 14 to 17%. We don't have to do the COVID adjusted stuff because I've been in this business long enough. I'm looking back at 20 year averages. So I've never met my pro forma. I've always exceeded it because I want to be the guy that looks at the fact that rates were at three, they're now at six. That didn't surprise me. My underwriting was a takeout loan at seven. So most of your deals are ground up development. Is that correct? That's about 60% uh, of what we do. Yeah. 
Okay. And how long does it take before you start seeing cash flow on those? Well, if you're in the development part, there never is cash flow because we have bank debt on it. Then when we start receiving rents, we use that to pay off the bank debt because the bank debt on construction is usually 2% higher than what permanent financing is. So I could give the investors the cash flow, but then I'm still incurring debt at 8%, 9%. So you don't refinance once the property starts cash flowing? We do, but typically we transact. And so whether we sell to a third party in that particular model, or we get our appreciation investors out and bring in another group that's looking for cash flow uh, on a predetermined sale price, because it's really sad to build a brand new asset and then sell it to somebody else. But if you're an appreciation investor and you're looking to really make the, the rapid gains, if I take and I can create a 20% return annually over the three years that it takes us to build a 200 unit apartment complex, and then I start penciling in 6% cash on cash returns, I torpedo your results pretty quick. So the best thing to do is to transact, get you out of that deal in a tax efficient way, go to the next deal where you're again making that 20%, 25, 30% because you're in the development phase of developing your cash flow and building your pile. And how long does it typically take? What's the turnaround time for your typical development deals to get your initial appreciation investors out and, and you know, turn that over and start bringing in the cash flow investors? Like I said, it's anywhere depending on whether it's an industrial deal or a multifamily deal, but 18 months is about the quickest. We've got the second phase of a project we're getting ready to uh, kick off right now. We'll be 18 to 24 months on that and we'll cycle out of that with a uh, you know, projected 17% and probably wind up being around 26% because we brought rents all the way down to where they bottomed out. And then we kind of left them there for the balance of the project when we know we're going to see some rent appreciation over the next couple of years. So we really like to be conservative. Our numbers are plenty high. We're starting to see savings from subcontractors. None of that's factored in. We've got all those things going on. And so we like that 24 to 48 month window, depending uh, but those are typically uh, mid to upper 20s on returns. And that's what our that's what our performance uh, performance has been. No, that's great. So, Shannon, if people are interested in connecting with you, with in investing with you, how can they connect with you? Easiest way to do that is just go to my website. It's shannonrobnet.com. All my social media is there. Uh, you can see what's going on on our job sites. We got cameras up. Uh, you can see our past deals. You can even uh, schedule an appointment on my calendar if you want to talk about what you're doing or want to know more about what we're doing. Uh, you can go there at shannonrobnet.com. Love it. Absolutely love it. You guys, thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoy these conversations that we have, please rate, review the podcast, and we'll see you next week. And Shannon, thanks for joining us today. This was a blast. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. All right. See you guys next time. Bye now. Did you know we offer a free eight video course on how to reach financial independence with real estate? It's super bingeable with each video around 10 minutes long, but packed with information. Visit sparkrental.com slash learn for instant access. And please don't forget to rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us. And we will catch you on the flip side.